Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Well, we are just about to go into our next conversation with Greg Valerio, who is from the Society of St. Columba. And I have to say, in the conversation, I had almost a preload of what we were going to talk about. And yet in the stuff that he was sharing, there was there was some incredible revelations, to some extent, maybe controversial, but really uh I was really moved by it. I've had a real DNA change in my relationship to uh, what has been written in the Sermon on the Mount, what is mine to do, and in actual fact, what is my role in the world? Anyway, so let's just go straight into this really fascinating conversation with such an inspirational gent. Well, we are now with my next guest, and it is with great delight that we are with someone who I I don't know very well, but I was in intimate uh, uh, um, uh, space, I think it was proximity, that's the word I was looking for, um, when I was at Greenbelt for a few days. And we are with Greg Valerio. And... Um, the reason I say that, I was in a teepee with Brother Cassian and with Greg and about 10 other people. And it was one of those moments with me being, my background is not like this. It was like, well, this is an experience. And it was beautiful. And it was deeply profound and moving. And the engagement with, and the story and so on and so forth was, was extraordinary. So anyway, um, Greg, Hello. how are you? I am very well, thank you. I'm good. I'm currently in Leeds at a friend's place for the week, I'm doing a bit of writing, which is um, rare for me these days. But there you go. What are you writing about? Ah, uh, well, it, it's 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 kind of a technical document, actually. I mm, work gosh. when I'm not hanging out with the sheep at Chanctonbury. I am working with ex-militia in the Congo, uh, building a peace gold process. So I have quite an eclectic existence, and I've been doing that for quite a while now. Um, obviously, my background was in ethical fair trade jewellery, and I pioneered that space for many years. The yeah. legacy of which is I've got involved with this area of conflict, demobilizing ex-militia, and then trying to work the work away that we can take gold, which is traditionally a conflict mineral, and there's, we can talk about that later, into a peace mineral. Wow. Um, so I actually have to write a technical document around how we, how our peace gold program works and how we are going to replicate it across the region that we work in, in Aturi. That's So it's, it sounds very niche. grand, but I can assure you it's mind-numbing at times. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like the the writing of technical documents yeah so um when i so when i, I it was my first rodeo at greenbelt and and i have I, i've already gone back on what i said so i went to a conference during the summer with um our youth group there was a whole bunch of adults we took a whole bunch of young people it was the most fun ever i did say to a bunch of youth workers i'll never go to another adult 
yeah. uh, um, conference again. <laughs> and then literally within about four weeks, I was at Greenbell. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not really very good at keeping a word at some things. Bumped into Brother uh, uh, Cassian and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm running a sesh with um, uh, a chap called Greg um, in a teepee um, over there. And it was like, okay, well, why not? And um, you, so so I turned up, we, we sit down in a circle um, and, well, why don't you just tell us, first of all, uh, uh, where you're from, tell us that story, and then we'll go around there. Yeah. Well, where am I from? Well, I mean, I mean originally, I'm actually Canadian, so. I can I, tell by your accent. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, there's a story right there. I mean. If you want to understand how little Britain works, I turn up in I turn up in England in 1976 as okay. a nine nine year old boy born wow. in, born in Canada. Yeah, both my parents are British. Emigrated to Canada because at that particular time in our country's history, there was more opportunity overseas than there was in country. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool, blimey, how how times haven't changed. Yeah. Um, and I was born there, so we moved back because of aging grandparents. So oh, okay. Seventy-six. Yeah. Um, and I went to school in I went to Fairham County Primary School for the first six months. Wow. And uh, I had a teacher there, so obviously I turn up with a very broad Canadian accent, which is I must say for all Canadians listening will know it is not an American accent. Oh yeah, I know that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you have to make that distinction because Canadians have got that subtle inferiority complex um <laughs> <Slightly>. <laughs> and yeah. um yeah so we get up we got into we were doing a geography lesson yeah and the geography lesson was you know capitals of the world mm. what is the capital of england and you know what's capital of india blah 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 and the, and the capital of of canada is of course as we all know toronto to which i said no, it's not. No, it's not. It's yeah. Ottawa. Yeah. And the teacher said, no, it's not. It's Toronto. And I said, uh, no, it's not. It's Ottawa. Yeah. To which I was then told, I am the teacher. You are the pupil. If I say it's Toronto, it's Toronto. And I don't want you talking in my my class with that damn Yankee accent anymore. Oh, man. So when you've learned to speak with the proper English accent, you'll be able to contribute. So welcome to Little Britain, you know. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the 70s. Amazing. So, I, mean, I literally, I lost my accent in like six weeks. It was like, doof, gone. Yeah. So now I'm, now you wouldn't know if you didn't know. So you, um, when when I I, w I went into the TP, and you introduced yourself, you said, "Hi, I'm I'm Greg Valerio. I am from the Society of St. Columba, uh, Colombo. I think it is, isn't it? Columba. Columba was a was a was a 1970s San Francisco detective. Yeah. So that I mean that would be quite a good one to be part of. <laughs> Tell us about this um this 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 group of people, and how you got involved with it. Well, I mean, I'm one of the founders, so I'm sort of involved from the very beginning and certainly one of the architects of, of what it now is. But essentially, the Society of St. Columba was formed um, in response to all kinds of different things going on, dynamics um, going on in the church and the churches that... that we the founders were involved with which were, were quite a number of different ones yeah and i think there was an overarching desire to move into a more 
I mean, this is going to sound very patronizing and it isn't meant to be patronizing, but I think we recognized that we, well, the, the, the current settlement wasn't working for us. And what the church ecosystem? Yeah, we right, didn't okay. want to deconstruct because I don't see a lot of, you know, a lot of my peers have deconstructed over the years, and I'm not a big fan of that because I, I don't think life is a process of deconstruction. Pro life is a process of spiritual evolution. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think we'd all come to a place where we recognised that we were looking for something deeper. Mm. Um, and more Christ-centered, not in um, not in the confessional sense, because saying yeah, yeah. you believe in, in Jesus is easy. Any, any yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody can say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You know, the devil believes in Jesus. Can say, yeah, it doesn't make him a follower. Um, but I think there was a recognition that the, the yearning for a deeper Christ-centered spirituality mm. was very real. So we, we very simply began to meet in an old stone church just north of Chichester, where I used to live in West Sussex, yeah. an old Anglo-Saxon place, yeah. which essentially was a, it wasn't a redundant church, but it wasn't a used one either. Yeah. Um, and we began to pray. And the prayer consisted primarily of sitting in silence and listening. Very interesting. Um, you know, we need, silence is a, a highly underrated commodity. And I think in the process of us coming together and listening and praying, which was primarily liturgical, um, we drew a lot of inspiration from the Celtic church. I think I was doing an MA in Celtic Christianity at the time. Yeah. So a lot of the content of the words that we were using and the contributions we were using were, were coming from a, from that that indigenous British monastic tradition, which we yeah. refer to as Celtic Christianity. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Or the Celtic Church. Yeah, yeah. And the Society of Saint Columba really emerged out of that because there was a group that came together. There was an invitation to look at a number of properties because. There was a local landowner who was looking for a praying community to take on some of his property and kind of be a custodian of it. Yeah, and then and as and that's how it really formed. It, it formed out of an opportunity, but it also formed out of an internal pilgrimage which a group of us were taking mm. towards a new monasticism. Mm. Um, so that's essentially the the essence of it in formation yeah yeah we we have we are a small community uh-huh because you know we we work in a we work and live in a very isolated part of the world you know where yeah. chanctonbury is is at the end of a road that essentially goes nowhere <laughs> um it used to be an old hamlet which got squashed during the enclosures it got uh -huh. turned into a, a heritage farmstead um and we've taken on the old heritage farmstead and 23 acres of land yeah, yeah where we yeah. are slowly coalescing around how do we i mean how do we share a common life together yes and yes. i would say that's a question in formation you don't you don't just come up with a set of rules on paper no and say right this is how we're going to do it because 
inevitably whatever you put on paper doesn't work in reality yeah um but also you know we we we've got this plot of land yeah and how do we and this for me is the real the real exciting element of it this is where the creational dimension of of the christian faith really comes alive you know we, we're not just there to care for creation mm-hmm. you know that there's there's an implicit patronization in that mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. creation is the created order is one of our um spiritual directors that's interesting you know it, it's a it's an active participant yeah, yeah. in our community um so i always joke you know we've got the fastest growing new monastic community in the country because every year we get 50 to 60 lambs and then we've got thousands of bees and you know we've got fledging <laughs> barn owls and we've got multiplying yellow hammers and chaffinches and goldfinches i mean we've got thousands in our community <laughs> it's just that they don't all speak english so so why why did you call it the society of saint columba and not let's say uh the order of saint william or you know uh, uh um saint cuthbert or or mary or whoever but who was why why saint columba who on earth was columba because the majority of my listeners are going we love this and you know there's a language that i use which is all about that health leads to growth yeah. and what you are doing is finding healthy rhythms healthy habits but you 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 deliberately chose this person why that person and then what are the deliberate things that you do to actually make sure that you have what i call the pillars of what you stand for your seven your, you know seven rhythms that i think you, you like that's right it. yeah yeah okay i mean again it's a very cross-cutting answer to a very straightforward question i would i would say firstly we didn't choose columba columba chose us okay um Columba was a great inspiration to us in the early days. He represents, he's not the only one, of course, but he represents a, a, an indigenous British and Irish saint. Right. Who inculcated the, the desert monastic tradition in a contemporary way. Interesting. Um, obviously, Celtic Christian monasticism because Celtic Christianity is monastic in formation. It is not Episcopal in formation. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Columba really was an archetype yeah. of that whole manifestation in the land. Yeah. You know, the yeah. holy man in the land or the holy woman in the land. Um, and he's also, he's also one of the British saints, Irish saints that we have the most information on mm. partly because um the life of saint columba written by one of his um successors andaman is one of the most comprehensive hagiographies that we have mm. Um, mm. Mm. and obviously iona which is the place that he is most famously associated with right um, continues to flourish it's been through peaks and troughs but it continues yeah. to flourish as a a living witness to to British, Irish, um, indigenous spirituality, peace and justice. Um, so I would say there was there was a great inspiration there. Yeah, yeah. 
I think the the formation of our guiding principles really came from the eighth century rule of Saint Columba, of which you know I think there's twenty three points to it. So I won't go through them all, but you know <laughs> the core of it. You know, if you look at the first two rules of Saint Columba, was you know be alone in a separate place, uh-huh. near a chief city, lest your conscience permit you to be in common with the crowd. The second rule is be naked in your imitation of Christ and the evangelists. So when I began to reflect on just the first two rules, never mind the other ones, let your daily labors be three, prayer, work and reading, etc. Yeah, yeah. You know, pray at all times until your tears come. Wow. You know, there's all kinds of very practical applications for life, but when I can when I when we reflected on the first two rules, you know, one of the driving questions is, well, why would you do the location thing before you do the imitation of Christ? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about who we are as modern day Christians in the West, you know, because we bought into the the free market economics of transient labor and freedom of movement and all those sorts of things yeah you know we we define ourselves primarily through our economic transactional nature we don't define ourselves about the place where we're rooted in yeah yeah so you know and i and i remember i remember on a very personal level i remember reading that and i was it profoundly turned me inside out yes because here it was i having come out of a or coming out of a church tradition that was a very driven motivated hyper faith charismatic yeah situation where everything has purpose and meaning and we've got to plant more churches and get a revival and it's all, all about drivenness yeah yeah the need to to drive 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 and and here is a man who is saying just be alone with god be alone with god you know near a chief city so you're not isolating yourself beyond being able to influence yeah lest your conscience permit you to be in common with the crowd so there is a special dispensation for getting involved with noisy places yes (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. our natural position as followers of christ is as saint john did you know to be resting our head on the breast of christ to be in that place of stillness and listening Mm. and you cannot listen in noisy environments yeah 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 so you know it's not a place of inactivity Mm. but it is a fund it is a foundational reorientation of the christian spiritual trajectory um we you know the heartbeat of the christian faith and christian discipleship is the imitation of christ it is not evangelism it is not pastoring people correct it is not being an apostle or a prophet or the fivefold ministries as i was taught as a young christian (laughs) it is not about being a successful businessman it is not about wealth and power and influence and all this nonsense that we have about well if you can influence the top six percent of society you will get a revival it's not even about praying for revival. Mm. You know, it's not about any of those things. Material wealth and excessive riches is just robbing the poor. It's not a sign of God's blessing. No, it's a right. sign of humanity's curse. Um, mm. Mm. 
unnatural state as followers of Christ is to walk as closely and as humbly as we can half a step behind the footsteps of Jesus. Um, and then when you found your right place, yeah. be naked in your imitation of Christ and the evangelists. Why add the evangelists? Why not just be naked in your imitation of Christ and leave it at that? Well, because Christ on so many levels, Jesus on so many levels for us is aspirational, but not achievable. <laughs> the human condition yeah. is that, you know, woe is me, I am a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Father, forgive me. Never mind yeah, yeah. everybody else. You know, yeah. I'm the problem here. Yes. Um, which is why, again, it's it's a very human thing. Mm. You know, we have the evangelists as examples to us of men and women who, who followed Christ to the very best of their ability. These are the eyewitnesses, the very people that lived alongside the man Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And they got it wrong all the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Before before Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection, and after it, yeah, I, my gosh, I mean, but, yeah, but absolutely, they are great inspirations to us because yeah. in their hum, in the failures of their humanity, they tell us that it doesn't matter how many times I fall apart, I can get back up and keep walking. And do you know what? Jesus just just stays there, and we can, and if we can, if we can get our position right in the land, then. You know, isn't that the essence of, I, I believe, the essence of what Jesus taught us? You know, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't go looking for it here. Don't go looking for it there. Yeah. Don't go looking for it in the opportunity, you know. I mean, I heard a, I heard a lady one day, you know, who was moving to, to Ireland, and she was a very wealthy woman, and she was deeply disappointed with the house that they were looking at, and she prayed, oh, I can't possibly live in this five-bedroom house in Dublin. I need a bigger place, so God bless me with a bigger place. No, God didn't bless you with a bigger place. You just went out and got a bigger place because that's yeah. your value system. Yes. Don't, we mustn't allow our value system, our God to bless our value systems. Very good. You know, it's like, Very good. You know, so if we don't stop, mm -hmm. if we don't listen, if we don't find our place in the land, I don't mean in the construct of society. I mean our place in the land, mm -hmm. because the land is permanent. Society and culture is transient. It's yes. temporary. It's a construct. Yes. yes. As we're finding it in the moment with all the political chaos that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. across the world, we suddenly realize that, oh, yeah. you know, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Empires come and empires go. Yeah. The fact that the Western yeah. hegemony is breaking down now, mm. it's the natural cycle. But there are certain things which remain permanent. Land, where we are in the land, is very important at this time in the history of humanity. So, so essentially, the first thing is, is turning down the volume of the noise that influences. And, and interestingly, what you're saying as well is realigning our value set to what Jesus is. Hmm value set and so there is a um uh 
there has to be a determined decision to recognize that our current, what we currently have is not good enough. We don't make a change unless we think it's broken. That, that generally is a, the, the, yeah, the, the I, pattern I, of society and pattern of behavior. I, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, then we have to be honest. We have, you know, we, we have, I'm, I'm, I get, I'm a, I got, I get a big, I'm, I'm annoyed. Maintaining a level of civility on the call. <laughs> in the discussion. You know, we seem to have lost, and I think this is a collective lostness. Yes, definitely. Truth. Mm. How do I know something is true? Mm-hmm. You know, because I feel it doesn't make it true. It just means I feel something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, some some days I feel good. Some days I feel bad. But there is still some tr- there is still some empirical truth. Jesus, Jesus is the truth. That's not a confessional truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is an ethical truth. Yeah, yeah. And so, we don't believe. For me, the challenge which we have we face at the moment as as the body of Christ is we've we've forgotten who Jesus is. Yeah. Jesus, the refugee, Jesus, the man who was intentionally poor. I mean, that blows my mind. Yes. If we say we, I mean, Julius Nieris, Nieri, the, the one of the, the first president of Tanzania, I believe he was, or certainly one of the most progressive ones. Uh-huh. He, he once said, you know, we say we believe in a God who created humanity in his own image. I refuse to believe in a God who is poor, starving, and illiterate. <laughs> You know, Jesus, if we say we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that yeah. he is the Lord and Word of creation, all these confessional truths that we pump out on a Sunday in worship songs and as we go through a suspended E minor chord for the fifth time in five minutes, then how Jesus lived is authoritative yeah and that's interesting you say that because there's a thing here that says that jesus said um if you see me you see the father, see the father. which is which is helpful and it what i think because i think it's very important is that we are not saying that it's right it's it's wrong to be wealthy no but it but what we're saying is it's our relationship with what we have is that it counts Okay, and and actually, the first thing that that comes first is not our wealth, but our relationship with our Creator, and then who we are in mm-hmm. in in the world. Yeah, I mean, th- there is a reason why the church in in early Palestine, as it emerged, um, could, with genuine integrity and honesty, record that there were no poor amongst them. You know, because that's extraordinary. It, it, it is extraordinary. And that, by and large, continued for about two and a half centuries. Wow. Um, up until the Constantinian settlement, when the empire kind of took over the narrative, um, which, interestingly, within 25 years of Constantine's so-called alleged conversion to Christianity and the adoption yeah. of Christianity as the religion of the empire, yeah, um, you have the emergence of the desert monastics. Because they 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 came to the place which 
I believe now so many of us here in the West mm -hmm. are coming to, which is I don't know how to live in this society anymore. Yeah. I yeah. can't make any sense of it. Yes. I don't feel like I can with integrity say I belong to what is emerging. I feel like a refugee in my own country, in my own nation, in my own church. Where do I belong? How do we live together? Yeah. How yeah. do we come together around this person that I say I believe in called Jesus? Because I don't see a lot of that person and what that person believed and how that person lived in the current settlement. The, the thing I, I'm, I'm really interested because um, I do Lectio every morning. All right. I say it every morning, every time I remember, or I can be bothered. All right. And that's important that I say that because there are moments it's like, nah. And it's, it, it is a form of monastic starting the day, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. Really great, great, et cetera. Um, and then we, then I, then I've, then I've encountered and started to understand a wee bit more about the community of Aidan and Hilda and what they do. And they have different levels of participation in it because they're a, they're a diaspora, they're a dispersed community because they don't all live in Iona. They don't, they're all over the world. Uh, and there are other communities. But the thing that's fascinating with what you're saying is it's all very well and good for these orders and for us us people who are what I would say, um, just just taking snacks from the table. But it's actually more important to actually ask the question, what is our core value? What's our center? Because and I, look, what I mean, I need to articulate this better because I'm just processing this. When I went to the, the satellite event, which I mentioned to you, uh, the youth event, the reason it was called satellite is that we are orbiting around Jesus. Jesus is at the center. Absolutely. You know? And so what you and others are um, daily doing is understanding what does it look like to, to, to center around Jesus. And that's a deconstructing, uh, you know, this uh, uh, deconstructing where we are now and then reevaluating and then reconstructing a new way of living. You know, there's so being a part, that's interesting. The prayer, that's interesting. Reading is also interesting, and your relationship with the things around you. So, so you so you mentioned one of the, the important things is actually going up being in silent. Uh, praying, well, we all know about prayer. Sometimes it's not very we're not very good at praying. I know so many people who just feel inadequate about praying for all sorts of reasons some you know and that's that's what it is how do you help so what with the other six rules for someone who has a desire to have a better relationship in following jesus from, from a few steps behind how do you help them along how do you coach them mentor them disciple them you know walk alongside them to say well here's something that we found for helpful consider this what do you do wow that's a that's a 
that's an existential question. I'm not sure I'm qualified to answer. Um, yeah, but there's no one else to do it right now, so you've got to go. <laughs> I mean, where do we start? I mean, I think firstly, what you what coming to the realization, and, I, and this is a really fundamental thing, which we all know to be true, but we struggle so much to appropriate in our lives, is that you know God loves us whether we think we're praying or not. Yeah. I mean, the, the point is that from the moment you scream your first breath in life, mm-hmm. which is the purest sound you'll ever make, um, to the moment that you exhale your last breath and pass into eternity, mm-hmm. your life is a prayer. You know, prayer is not a verbal thing. Prayer is who we are as people. Prayer is... In, in conversation down the pub with the farmer that I'm getting to know. Prayer is what we do in the teepee at Greenbelt, where we intentionally focus on Christ in the centre. Prayer is, prayer is the whole of our life. It's not some functional thing which is subjected to vocabulary, liturgy and ritual. You know, those are those are times in our lives when we come together mm. to collectively focus on something, of course, and those things are very important. Mm. But the most meaningful prayer that you will ever pray is, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, you know, forgive me a sinner. You know, that's that Monday morning when you're feeling depressed or when they, when you're having your psychotic moment or when you're literally down to your last 50p for the electricity meter. Um, those are the prayers that God hears, the cries of the poor, yeah. the, the cries of pain, the cries of anguish, which we all have as human beings. We all live there. I mean, the rich are the loneliest people in the world because they're the most paranoid. You know, God hears those prayers. Um, yeah, that's helpful. God hears the prayer. Uh, the heart of humanity's cry is, I want to come home. Yes. All of life is prayer. So I, I think first, so the first thing is, let's take the pressure off of people to perform. Yep. Because, you know, God, God doesn't get disillusioned with you. Yeah. Because he had never had any illusions about you in the first place. Yes, yes. The quote you know, the now departed Gerald Coates, one yes. of the best things I ever heard him say. Um, so we take the pressure off of people having to perform prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, prayer is not a movement. No. Prayer, prayer is prayer is something, you know, go into your room, shut the door behind you, and what you say in private is what God will hear. Good. Jesus never said, go into the big space, go into the big auditorium, or shout your heads mm. off, or scream and carry on as though you've got some sort of existential corporate angst, you know, and, and have this big corporate collective thing, and God will hear you. Yes. That, Jesus never said that. Jesus says, when you pray, don't do that. Mm. The big public spectacle. Because that's where we get the curse of comparison and the curse of performance comes upon us. Jesus actively encourages people to not do that. 
go into your room, be quiet, be still. The monastics have understood this for centuries. Go into your cell and it will all work itself out. So I think we take that pressure off of people. Yeah. And the second thing that we, and this is what we are learning, you know, down in our, on the community farm. Yes. You know, that there is a materiality to prayer, which we have overlooked. Prayer is not primarily an emotional feeling. Prayer, there's a physicality to it. So we get quite a number of people turn up, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis or whatever it might be. Frequency is never the issue. Never count numbers. Don't get into the curse of numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And some people like digging. They just love digging holes in the ground. They like digging trenches. They like digging potato beds. They like, some people love weeding. Don't, I, weeding, funny, straight. I don't like weeding, but some people like pulling the thistles out and pulling the weeds out. And, you know, <laughs> some some people like building. Some people like getting into the field with the sheep and debrambling them when the city blighters get stuck in the hedgerow and yeah. all the rest of it. But what what is fascinating to observe with those people when you come to reflect with the people you know what did you get from today how, how did it go you know they, oh, i feel great you spent all day digging what is god digging out of your life right you you've just been out in the field for the morning debrambling sheep and feeding them and all the rest of it how are you being debrambled what is god you know what your the task that you are undertaking is the lesson that God is trying to outwork in your life. I love that. And what, because, because we, but because we've been so conditioned as Western Christians, particularly, I think the charismatic Pentecostal faith traditions are particularly guilty of this, but it's not exclusive to them because they have locked God into an event and an emotional moment. The majority of particularly new Christians think that is how you interact with God. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. of course, it's a very low ceiling limit. Um, it's a very low ceiling limit that we set people. And of course, you can't disciple people through all the stages of life based upon in, engendering and in, encouraging feelings and emotional mm. moments. Um you know, it's fat, you know, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, which obviously is, is as Gandhi said, is the, is the highest form of spiritual teaching that has ever been recorded. That yeah. was Gandhi's yeah. view of it. Yeah. There's very little in there about your emotional condition. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about yeah. blessed are the poor. Yeah. Blessed are the meek. Yeah. The humble, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do not worry about those other things. You know, don't do what the hypocrites do. Go into your cell and pray. When you do pray, this is what you pray. It's all about the our, our position in the land and in relationship to other people in terms of action not emotional conditioning do you know you, you've just given me a beautiful revelation so when jesus started the beatitudes or the beautiful attitudes 
the rest of the sermon is then okay this is how this is what the kingdom of god looks like but they are hard oh i mean they are hard and so when we find it hard god then says yeah but go back to the beatitudes mate you will be fine because yes blessed are the poor in spirit yes because these things that i present to you will kick against you but when you lean into me I'll meet you in that place. And then you can say yes to that opportunity of revealing the kingdom of God in the new way of living. I mean, to some extent, the, 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 the beautiful attitudes is a constant. And then, and then yes, we have a, a roadmap of turn the other cheek. Um, you're, you know, salt and light. You're, uh, you know, and it just goes on and on, et cetera. And obviously, you know, we, we've all read it. We haven't, you should. But these, that's really... What a, I'm going to say something stupid. <laughs> what a kind thing for Jesus to say at the very beginning, because essentially saying you're going to find it tricky, but don't worry. It's not about. I don't. I don't think Christian. The Christian walk is not about success. No. 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 Christian I get walk that. Is about being brave and being courageous. Yes. And taking heart and keeping walking and walking and and. I mean, we're called the Society of St. Columba, and, and, and St. Columba is a great inspiration to us. But, you know, I would, I would say in recent, in recent years, particularly with the COVID challenges that we faced, you know, yeah. you know, what we have found, you know, we're, 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 having to, we're having to adapt a lot of who we are as a community to, well, actually, the way this is going to work the way we're going to be able to walk forward, both as individuals and as as a community, the way we're going to inherit and witness what what God is doing here. Because let's not forget, God is God has arrived at the place that you're heading for a long time before you ever get there. Yeah, so you know, it's like we're not bringing God anywhere. <laughs> God's already there. We just turn up and witness. You know. Yes. But we 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 must proceed with great humility yeah we must proceed into whatever we are proceeding into wherever we are moving towards we must proceed with with great tenderness and Mm. compassion and graciousness and forgiveness because these are the these this is the heartbeat of christ you know and and humility blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. That you know, the anawim, the meek, the, the, the humble ones. Yeah, yeah. And we proceed with great humility. We are not the answer. No, no, no. Absolutely, we are not the answer. Always, I, in fact, we dare I quite say, reverse, we always seem actually. a bit inept, don't we? We quite the you know. Yeah. I I live in an area where you know people are really pushing a, a strong kind of revival thing at the moment. Yeah. yeah I've yeah. gone through all that in the nineties, you know, we yeah, you and me up both. And down and did crazy things and had a good time. It was a lot of fun, you know? Mm. Um, and it was significant and meaningful and all the rest of it. But what we wanted didn't happen. Exactly. And it's really <laughs> hilarious. You say this because it I've just done an episode on revival. Yeah. Because, because, God does not come down from heaven. This is, this, this is, this is, I come back to my points about the incarnation. Okay. 
how does Jesus emerge into the world? Yes. From the womb of humanity. Mm. And the person of Jesus, you know, is emerges into history mm. in a humble way. In in poverty, in in imperial oppression, in all of the aspects of life which countermand, you know, the the imperial empire spirit. Yeah. And this is the way we must proceed. We are not the answer to society's problems, yeah. which I know is a controversial statement. We are, we are the example of walking like Christ. And if we can do that authentically or as authentically as we can muster, then those that are living in that society, which is dysfunctional, will say to themselves, holy moly, mm. something is going on over there. I need to go over and take a look. It's, so they move towards us because there is something of the liberation and freedom of Christ in the way we live and act, yeah. which is more attractive than the current state settlement, yeah. the dysfunction of, you know, and, and the dualism and the nastiness and the vitriol and all the rest of it. So, you know, this idea that we're going to save the nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to save. We're not going to save the nation. I know so many Christian businessmen that worked in the city of London and their rationale was, well, we're in their influence in the city of London for, for the kingdom of God. Mm, well, if mm. they were so effective, how come they all participated in the 2008 economic financial crash? <laughs> well, untold, not a lot of kingdom of heaven in that power. And they made a lot of money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And because, so where, the, the interiority of how we position ourselves in the land and amongst one another, yeah. for me, is the most difficult thing to do in Christian discipleship. Because why? Because it's the most difficult thing that I can do. Mm. It, the, the thing <clears throat> that that's that's really interesting, because although on your on your on your page, you know, you have the seven spiritual principles, mm. you know, the society of St. Columba which you know you, you've articulated in prayer work reading pilgrimage silence sabbath and place essentially all of those are actually embodiment mm. you, you it, that that's it it's an ethos of embodiment uh, of christ already at work and it's actually uh, making ourselves vulnerable and available for god to do the work in us to then witness the work that he's doing and where we see an opportunity then then we uh we step into that space yeah and things do cut things will will knock us and so we have the beatitudes but those opportunities of the, of the rest of the, the, the sermon on the mount is like well there's a different way of looking at it etc but this this embodiment is such an important thing that's the thing that makes us makes us our faith different i say our faith is different every religion you can distinctly see their way of living can't you 
yeah. Uh, and the, there's, the, there's a lot of overlap in there as well, Matthew. You know, um, yeah. You know, I, I, I during the '90s and the early 2000s, I, I did a lot of traveling through India, and I used to go and stay in a men's um, drug rehab center. Yeah, <laughs> most people thought I was on drugs, but I wasn't. It was just a cheap bed. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go and stay at Sahara House, which unfortunately is not there anymore. But that's a that's another sorry saga. Um, but it was a truly amazing place. You know, eighty five recovering drug addicts, alcoholics, living in a, a four floor place in Greater Kalash Three in Delhi. You know, it was it was the humble and the broken, and yeah. you know it was. It was sleeping on the floor. It was rice and dal every day. It was people recovering, and 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 we. But there was a humanity. There was a soul to soul connection in the brokenness. That, it was famous. People travel from all you know in in that world in that drug community, which is a vast international network i'm not yes. talking about the illegal aspect i'm talking about the victims of it you know to get to sahara was like getting to mecca huh. and they had muslims in there and they had hindus in there and they had christians in there and but what was so interesting although it was a christian founded community yeah it the recognition across the different faiths that we are all children of god we are all broken. We are all struggling with our humanity. And we are all struggling to find that place of peace in God is actually universal. Yeah. I'm not a universalist. I mean, the, the, the Pharisees of evangelicalism jump up and down on that word. Yeah, but, you know, that's their problem, not mine. But, you know, let's be very clear. God is not a Christian. And, you know, God doesn't need to be a Christian to sustain all of life in creation. Mm. What God, Jesus is, God incarnate. Yeah. So if we want to understand the nature of the father of all creation, we can look at Christ. But do you know what I've discovered over the years? There aren't many Muslims that would disagree with that. That's interesting, isn't it? There aren't many Hindus that would disagree with that. I mean, that, there are a lot of Christians that wouldn't disagree with that. You know, there's a lot, a lot of Sikhs that wouldn't disagree with that. I, I, I mean, I know, I know a lot of pagans because where I live, it's it's quite a pagan, yeah. pagan thing going on at Chanctonbury, which is quite strong and it has been for, for for generations. Yeah, a lot of pagans wouldn't disagree with that. Jesus is the embodiment of God. Correct. Come on. Come on. So now, Richard Rohr would call that Christian, the universal Christ, wouldn't he? Well, Christ is universal. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. We're all about labels. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, before before creation. Yeah, I am. I am. So there's nothing within creation that isn't. I mean, that's the, that's the that's the Gospel of John, isn't it? That's the that's the yeah. prologue of John. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Everything is sustained by the word of god yeah 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 and christ is the word of god there is no life outside of the word of god yes god sustains yes. all yes, yes um 
you know, and I, and I believe, and I've done, I've been very, very privileged over the years. I've worked with quite a few indigenous communities over the years in different parts of the world, particularly in, it, it, my, my, my wonderful friends in New Mexico, the Little Birds, you know, mm. I mean, Larry would say to me, look, we've always known who Jesus is, he's Pueblo. We've always known who Jesus is, we just didn't know what his name was. Yes, yes, yes. I remember working with the Inuit in Greenland in the late 2000s for, for three or four years over some, some human rights, indigenous rights issues around mining and Danish colonialism. Um, and we would pray on the land for God's righteousness and justice to come into the situation. And none of these people were Christians, mm. but they understood God yeah. to be the source of all righteousness and justice. Yeah, yeah. And I remember one day, you know, we were praying that we would get some breakthrough in whatever whatever the particular situation was. You know, and I, and I prayed, and they were in tears yeah. because nobody had ever prayed with them. Yeah, that God is righteous and just, and cares and is concerned about your situation. Yeah. yeah. Um. They'd only ever had that sort of narrow reformed thing rammed down their throat, like like all indigenous people have had that have suffered under the, the, the history and legacy of European colonialism. <laughs> God is under our feet. Yeah, yeah. God emerges from beneath us. God is in the soil. God is in the worms. God is in the grass and the trees and the wind and the sky. I mean, you've only got to read the Psalms to cop that. Anybody yeah. that says that's not true hasn't read their Bible. Um, well, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, the kingdom of heaven emerges from underneath. It doesn't fall in us and magically change everything. I mean, yes. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I mean, the, what you are articulating are things that we have known similar to what the Inuits and, and, and the other native uh, indigenous communities from other nations have always known but they haven't had words for it they haven't had words for it our biggest challenge in western society is our sense of disconnection and dislocation mm. and you know i remember i remember when i first became a christian which was back in the 80s you know, you, you may remember back then we were having large discussions in the church about where social action fits into evangelism. Oh, mate, honestly, that's where I live right now. I mean, it's, give it's me a gun, shoot me in the head. Yeah, yeah, it's what just a nightmare conversation to be. But we fought, didn't we? We yeah. fought tooth and nail. Yeah, with these Pharisaical reformed people yeah. who wanted to keep the gospel a confessional thing. You know, as long madness. as you, as long as you pray the confessional formula, yeah, you're in. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> Hands ridiculous. up, come to the front, get dobbed yeah. on the head, fall over. Oh my word, it's happened. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, we're, now, nobody has that discussion now. I mean, it's. It, it, well, it's, you say that. Well, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to caveat it with I can't believe it's coming back. Um, I mean, <laughs> That's just because of my work with cinnamon. Rational. Yeah, 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 yeah. Half, yeah. half a bit of grey matter in between their heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Between their ears is going to yeah, know yeah. that that's yeah, just yeah. not a debate. You know, of course, the justice of God, it's not about where does God's justice fit into revival. It's where does our view of revival fit into the just morality of the living God? That's the true question. And, of course, 
the, the question is answered in the person of Jesus. Yeah. We're having the same discussion now about the environment and the land and the ecosystem and the climate. Yes. You know, you've got, you've got these right wing Pharisees who, and this is where we don't, they don't know, they don't know how to appropriate truth. Well, it's a fact is, I, I think this is important because you see, I think all of us to some extent, so within a spiral dynamics, okay, which, which you may know of, we all have gone through those cycles of seeing the world through a, a pair of binoculars or a pair of lenses. It just takes that next level of revelation for an evolution, mm. you know, and I, and I understand. I, I'm, I perfectly accept that. Um, the young people that I engage with will have some very strange ideas in the world about who they are, their relationship with, their, with, with the generation before them, and what's theirs to do. It's only when we first give them the opportunity to start articulating what they believe can we start having a conversation about is there an alternative way of seeing it. Mm. And, and, and I think that you're right in saying that there is... Um, some very what I call faulty thinking about climate, about economics, about politics, about society, and so on and so forth. You know, I I work one both in community development, but also I I sail close to various different political ways. I would, and I would probably say that I'm. What's my political persuasion? Well, it's social. It's certainly not right wing. But I'm definitely would say I'm just I, I can see the see bits of God in all of them, but I can also see a lot of ungodly as well in all mm. of them. You know, um, I think the thing that I'm I'm really am interested in is that what you have been presenting to me because I was when I first thought, okay, yeah, yeah, let's have Greg, let's have this chat about the community of uh, Saint Columba. There's there's a package we can just pull it off and we'll just we'll just do that and there'll be like like certain types of exercises and so on and so forth. What you have actually done is 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 you've gone a bit left field and said it's not about rhythms, it's about embodiment and it's about working in how the seasons are rather than well, all right, put it another way. You are not the master of yourself but you are the master of your relationship to the things that are happening around you and what's your call to action. It's, it, I mean, I think embodiment is the key to prophetic witness. Yeah. If we look at the, the prophets of the old Testament, they all, yeah. I mean, Ezekiel, I love Ezekiel, not because he's all fire and brimstone, you <laughs> know, but because, you know, he's a, he's, he's a, he's an actor. He's a, he's a theatrical playwright he mm. he lies on his side for 40 days he takes three hairs out he puts on a brick he, oh it's nuts he, i mean he does the most incredible acts he, yeah. he, he embodies something he, he acts yeah. something out allegorically to communicate a deeper truth yes yes i mean jeremiah i mean well jeremiah i feel sorry for the poor guy i mean what a bum deal you know oh, yeah. i'm going to give you a message which no one's going to listen to and if you don't say it, i'm going to kill you I mean, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? Someone gave me that when I was a young person. They said, "Hey, Matt, I've got a word for you," and it's and it's Jeremiah chapter one. It's like, great. So you've just given me that I'm going to be like Jeremiah. Yeah, nah, you can keep that one. 
Yeah, but, but he embodied something. John the Baptist. I mean, I love, I mean, my favorite of the Old Testament, the, the fight, Jesus said, you know, the, the greatest of the prophets was John the Baptist. And the least in the kingdom of heaven will be greater than him. Yeah. And what did the Baptist do? What, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed shaken by the winds? What does mm. that mean? That means all those people of faith that just capitulate to the comfort and the materialism and the softness of the status quo. Or mm. a rich man in soft clothes. You know, all those people that aspire to extreme wealth as though somehow that is the answer to, you know, all of humanity's deepest desires. Yes. You know, yes. Um, no, you went out into the desert to see a prophet. Yeah, yeah. Who eats locusts and honey, who calls you to repentance. And if you have two cloaks, give one away to the poor. Yeah. Stop, repent. Now, that repentance is, if you have two cloaks, give one to the poor. It is an ethical embodied repentance how do i know if you say you love god and hate your brother the truth is not in you it's not there it's it your action it's why martin luther wanted the book of james taken out of the bible because it cuts right across the mythology of salvation by faith alone the thing that's hilarious about this that's dualism it is dualism the thing that's hilarious is that you uh you then work in a in a professional industry with gold and silver how, how do you navigate that one with the people well, around I'm, you <laughs> um very cautiously <laughs> <laughs> no i i've often i've often reflected on you know why of all the spaces that i could have ended up with with my given my background and all the rest of it because i started out in the theater originally and was, okay that didn't work particularly well for me you know then i became a christian and then i ended up in jewelry and pioneering fair trade in gold and you know my relationship with gold has been quite long-standing but when you reflect upon gold as obviously i've had to do over the years it's one of the it, it's one of the principal it's the principal product which which formed modern capitalism yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It was only until recently we came off the gold standard. Yeah, it is one of the primary slave products. Huh. Um, you know, why did we enslave so many people as European empires? Yeah, gold? yeah, horrific. After the gold, yeah. Um, and yet, you know, I mean, I mean, and I can go on and on and on and on, but it's a, it's one of the it's one it's in the top five of the most corrupt products on in the world, and the yeah. amount of conflict and suffering that is associated with it is it is off the charts. Um, yeah. If you if you if you I mean, I work in Congo, but if you reflect on um, what King Leopold did in the Congo oh. and the genocide that he oversaw in over over fifteen years. 15 million Congolese people died at the hands of King Leopold and That's then disgusting. all the others that came when the Belgians took it over. I mean, honestly, that's the biggest European genocide in history. 
I mean, that's absolutely. I mean, but no one we talks don't about that. Talk about that. No. No. You know, Holocaust Remembrance Day. This is where I get controversial. Holocaust Remembrance Day is only focused primarily, and I know they say typically we 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 do this. We we focus yeah. on all the Holocaust. The biggest Holocaust in the world, obviously, is for is the First Nations people of North America. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Um, so we we gold is a deeply corrupt product. Yeah, yeah. And so yet, when you look at how is gold portrayed in, in the book of Revelation, mm. the New Jerusalem, the streets of the New Jerusalem through which the river of life runs, which the trees are planted on either bank for the healing of the nations, and the walls of the New Jerusalem are, are all precious stones, and each gate is a pearl. It's this beautiful symbiotic relationship between minerals and organic material and the human condition all working in harmony together yeah and the streets are gold as yeah. transparent as glass hmm. and the essence of what my work over the years with gold has been very simple transparency yeah. there you go transparency and traceable supply chains now and that's, that's how you do complicated it yeah but when you boil the whole thing down yes the essence of it is we just want the resources of the land to benefit the people of the land very good and i'll give you and i'll give you a very clear idea of the scale of how they don't <laughs> okay yeah go on the province that i work in in aturi i work with the most amazing people but Aturi, and this is this is from the Minister of Mines, a couple, from a couple of years ago now when we were having a meeting with him. He's, he's subsequently moved on to another department. Yeah. But his estimate was that Aturi province generates between 3,000 to 5,000 kilos of gold a year. That's quite a lot of gold. That's a lot right? of gold. Think about it. Gold is trading, what, at the moment, $53,000 a kilo. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of money. It's a lot more money. You know, they're living on a gold mine. Yeah. And yet when you ask the same, when you ask the question of the same ministry, you know, how much gold did you legally export in 2020? Mm -hmm. They reply in a very hushed tones and say 15 kilos. Huh. Everything else is smuggled. Goodness me! So, th and this, this is this is for me where this is this is really interesting. When John the Baptist said, "Come, repent now, give away your cloak," you embodying all that you do in your practices, whatever they are. God says, "Okay, now, Greg, this is your space. You need to bring my way." And so you challenge the status quo. You say, hold that's on. That's why the status quo exists. Yeah. But you challenge the status quo to say 15% is not good enough. We need to, we need to, we need to make that better. And that's why you do what you do. And you and you you get involved in all sorts of amazing things. Well, we I mean, I've I've always looked at it like this. You know, I'm not I've often been accused of being 
overtly political, which I'm, I, I don't think I am, actually. Well, politi- but, politics but is, think, a, is the I people. Think, it's all about but, people. You know, when, when the world system gets in the way of the kingdom of heaven advancing, mm. as it should do, then, you know, I'm not getting political. The politics is getting involved with me. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I... I'm not asking for these incompetents to be there. <laughs> no, absolutely. I didn't even vote to put them there, but yeah. they're, they're, they're there. And, you know, I mean, I've worked with enough government ministers over the years, you know, in, in, in previous incarnations, to know that the majority of them don't actually know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I understand that. I've experienced um, that myself. Yeah, yeah. But that is our opportunity. And I think that's the role of the church. I think the, the role of the body of Christ is to be that authentically Christ-centered community, which is the alternative to the dysfunctional state system. Mm. I love it. The church's job is not to save the nation, because the nation can't be saved. The job of the, the job of the body of Christ is to be Christ-centered and invite the world to come and be participants. That's really interesting. The trajectory that we have, I mean, I spent, you know, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you will have done as well, but we've all grown up in, particularly within the evangelical world, we've all grown up in those environments where, you know, the pressure is to change the system. Mm. The, the system, if we go, <laughs> if we go back through history, what's changed? Not a huge amount. <laughs> we st- empires come, empires go. You still get rich and poor. You still have mass injustice. People are still dying of poverty. Blah blah. You know these things have not changed from one generation to another. They just manifest themselves in different ways. Different names. We just yeah. the only difference that we have now that that hasn't been the case in the past is we now have a climactic imperative which is beyond our control. We're past the tipping point. Nobody's brave enough to say that. So, um, and it's it's no longer, you know, it's no longer, once upon a time, these issues were generally confined to nation states and areas and people groups. Because the climactic breakdown is so extreme and is accelerating so rapidly, it yeah. affects all of us existentially. And no individual has the ability to to hold that tide back anymore we're past the tipping point as my friends in new mexico would say you're all going to become indians nomadic well i mean you know we, we, that's not me being a prophet of doom that's mm. the science and all that and the only way that we can handle the, the scale of that is by saying well i don't believe the science yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. believe in not believe in the science doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we do we do have big challenges. You know, there are big challenges ahead of us. We are born for such a time as this. Mm. There's no point lamenting why was I born now. We are where we are. We are. There's a reason why I'm here at this time. There's a reason why you're here at this time. There's a reason why we're all in at this time in this place in these days yeah yeah. and um you know our task is to walk as jesus walked 
to believe the things that Jesus believed and to do the things that Jesus did in the way that Jesus did them. Really good. Really good. Greg, thank you. How can people find out about the Society of St. Columba? Um, well, website, uh, www.st, St. St. Columba, C O L U M B A dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, drop us a line. We do, um, we have community days on the farm. We've got a little shepherd's hut down there that you can come and stay in. Um, you know, uh, we, so we can facilitate small numbers of people. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we're, people are always very welcome, always very, very welcome. And if there are any multimillionaires listening out there, then, you know, then, hey, give me a call sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a roof to put on an education centre. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. God might be saying something you never know. about the gold that you are digging up. You never know. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So just to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And uh, if you want to catch up with any other episodes, do go on to the Anchor Season 4 portal and uh, you'll see all of the other episodes that I've done. Also, check us out on, obviously, iTunes through uh, Apple and with your Android and all of your other different places like Spotify that you get to listen to your podcasts. <laughs> Equally, if you are someone who uses Twitter, um, we are Seasoned for Life. And um, we have posts of all sorts there. And then this is the next new thing. If you're really interested, why don't you come and join our learning community? It's on Facebook. It's a group of people who are asking questions about what does it look like to be seasoned for purpose? Anyway, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you next time.